Now, meetings, old school meetings of the Wesleyan Brethren. You might not have a clue who that is, but we call uh, the group that came out of that Wesleyan movement the Methodist Church. The guys would sit around at the beginning of their meetings and they'd ask one another this question, how is it with your soul? Kind of a strange question. We don't usually phrase our interrogations that way. We usually don't have interrogations whatsoever to speak of at church, do we? But the questions we ask more often than not on Sunday mornings at church or something like this, how are you? How's everything going? How you doing? And the usual response is, oh, I'm good. Everything's fine. It's, it's great. And then we ask the question, how are you? But I want to ask that question this morning that the Wesleyan brethren used to ask each other, and I want you to think... And genuinely reflect in your own heart, in your own life, in your own soul, how are things with you? So I guarantee you there are some of you that came into the building this morning and things aren't going great. And you just wanted to be nice when somebody asked you in the hall, hey, how's everything going? And you said, man, it's, it's wonderful. And it wasn't so much that you were trying to lie or not tell the truth as it was that you just didn't want to have to go into all of those details from the past week, from the past few months, or maybe even it was just a bad weekend for you over these last two days. But I want to challenge you these next few moments. However it may be with your soul, whether it's well or not, that you would listen to God's word from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And if you'll listen to God's word, and no matter what he says, if you'll take him at his word, and you'll take his word for what it is, I believe he'll speak to your heart. And even if it's not well with your soul this morning, by the time you stand up to leave this service, if you'll have listened to the Lord and choose to obey him, it will indeed be well with your soul. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon and he says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make any false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair on it white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Father God, would you be with us this morning as we study your word? Lord, I pray that you would speak to the heart of every person here in this room this morning. And that by the time we have finished listening to you, listening to your word being preached and taught, we would be able, because of the grace of Christ, to say it is well with our souls. Amen. Uh, this section of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount is really uh, interesting because Jesus will quote and does quote six different times law 
laws from the book of Deuteronomy. If you're not part of our Sunday school uh, classes on Sunday mornings, we've been studying through the book of Deuteronomy, and the word Deuteronomy means second law. So some of you are familiar with the story when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. God wrote in two stone tablets these Ten Commandments that his people were to live by. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses re-spoke these commandments. In other words, gave the law a second time. Very creative name, Deuteronomy, isn't it? Second law. But Jesus will quote from Deuteronomy, sometimes from the Ten Commandments, other times from elsewhere in the book of Deuteronomy, and he'll say, you've heard it said, or the ancients were told. And after he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, he will go into this, but I say unto you phrase. Now some people, when they read Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, think, well, Jesus must be doing away with the Old Testament law, like God didn't know what he was talking about back then, or things just need to be improved or tweaked. It's not that Jesus was saying God's law was unimportant or unnecessary back then. Rather, what he's doing is helping people explain in their own hearts and their own lives what God originally meant and intended by the law. Because here's things that people would start to do, right? They would say, well, you know, the law, the Old Testament says, I can't commit murder. I mean, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So these people would start to get ideas in their mind like this. Well, I might not can kill my brother, but I sure can beat him up if he needs it, right? Or it, it'd come to things like this, um, that you're not supposed to uh, commit adultery and that you're not supposed to engage in physical, sexual intimacy with somebody who's not your spouse. But people would say it doesn't matter that, you know, I can at least look, right? I can, I, I can enjoy the, the sight and let my eyes just take in and my mind wonder at all kinds of immoral opportunities that would be presented itself if I pursued this path. But in each of these instances, in each of these cases, Jesus says, listen, God didn't give you the law so that you could justify living in your sin. God gave you the law so that you could understand that he is a holy God who wants you to walk in holiness. In fact, this section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 is often called the higher law or the Christian law. In Matthew 5, 21 through 48, Jesus was correcting erroneous understanding of the Old Testament law. Sinful human nature has the tendency to excuse or to hide sin rather than seek forgiveness through atonement. And here's what the Jewish, Jewish religious people were doing in their day. They were saying, well, we didn't break the letter of the law, so we're okay in God's eyes. But that was not true. Because even if they abided by the letter of the law on the piece of paper, their hearts were oftentimes far from God. They might not have killed their neighbor, but they sure hated him sometimes. They might not have committed adultery against their wife or against their husband, but man, there was many times they sure wished that they could have been with somebody else. And Jesus, as he points out the flaws and the evil that are in the hearts of these people who are listening to him preach, he's exposing some sin. And as these people 
listen to him teach, it's, it's like they wanted to get away from it, but they couldn't get away from it. Like they knew what he said was true, every word of it. But they wished it weren't true because if what he was teaching was true, it meant that they were sinful human beings. And that they were wrong no matter which way they sliced it. And that they needed God's grace and forgiveness. So here's the command in verse 33 that's referenced by Jesus. You shall not swear falsely or you shall not make false vows. But you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 21 through 23. It's also referred to in the book of Numbers and in the book of Leviticus. And in each of these cases... What God is helping his people to understand is, you are as good as your word. And if your word's no good, you're no good. So when God was telling his people, don't swear falsely or don't make false vows, what he's really telling them to do is to be a man or a woman of integrity. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. So here's where the Jews went with this, right? Their attitude became something of this. Well, you know what? I could, uh, I could say something and not necessarily make a vow before the Lord. Instead of swearing by God who's seated upon the throne in heaven, really, I, I, I could do something like this. I could just swear by heaven itself. And then... If what I don't then if what I say isn't really true, it's not that God's going to judge me because I haven't sworn by God's name, right? Instead of swearing by God's name, I've just sworn by heaven. What's going to happen? Nothing. It'll be okay. In other words, they're trying to figure out how they can intentionally deceive people by telling little white lies. But these little white lies were actually great black marks on their hearts. The Jews would say, well, I didn't swear by God, I swore by heaven. So I don't have to keep my word. They would swear by the earth then instead of heaven. I don't have to keep my word. I made this promise based upon the hairs of my head. You guys remember when you were growing up and you make a promise to your best friend? There's a couple things you do. You guys remember this one? We're, we're going to make a real, real covenant here, Nick. The pinky promise. I'm never rooting for the Chicago Cubs, right? You make a pinky promise. All right? You guys, you guys know the, the effect of the pinky promise, right? If you break your promise, what's supposed to happen? You guys don't know this? Even everybody, nobody ended up with a broken pinky? That's how that works. Did you guys not know that? You make a promise with your best friend growing up, a pinky promise... You break your promise, guess what your friend gets to do? We didn't really follow that, did we? Or, or what about this one? This is one of my favorites. You make a promise to your friend, you know, you, you keep this secret because he liked this girl in your class, and he'd say something like, don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I don't want my friends making fun of me. I don't want my dad making fun of me when I go home at night. Don't tell anybody who I like. All right. And they, he'd make you repeat this little phrase after him. Cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. And look, what, what would happen? You know, everybody would find out who this kid liked, and this kid would come back to you. 
You said you wouldn't tell. Did your friend at that point, like, take a knife and cut your heart or stick a needle in your eye? No, it didn't happen. But here's what did happen. Even in those little bitty things, there may be some trust that was broken as you broke your word. And as that trust was broken, a, a relationship began to be broken. And in fact, I really think this is what Jesus is getting at when he starts talking to the Jews about how they've been making their promises or swearing their oaths or saying their vows. They wouldn't make it by God himself in heaven. They wouldn't say, in God's name, I'm telling you the truth. Rather, they would say, by heaven, I'm telling you this, or by earth, I'm telling you this, or just as there are hairs in my head, I'm, I'm telling you this. And Jesus noted the problem. First, they weren't promising in the name of God because they knew they weren't telling the truth. So then they lowered it to heaven. Then they lowered it to earth. And they lowered the standard again, yet to talk about the hairs of their head as if the hairs of their head had anything to do with the promises that they were making. But Jesus says, listen, you can make your pie crust promises all you want to and they're just going to fall apart. You can promise things like politicians but when you don't keep your word you don't keep your word. Jesus says don't swear by heaven it's God's throne. Even if you're not making a promise in God's name heaven is the place where God dwells. You can't make a promise by heaven and expect that God won't hold you to what you've said. He said, don't make a promise by earth. It's the footstool of God's feet. The picture is that God is seated on the throne of heaven and his feet propped up on earth. In fact, Jesus said, don't even swear by the city of Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king, Jesus himself. Verse 36, don't even make an oath by your own head. You can't make one hair white or black. Evidently, they didn't dye their hair a whole lot in these days, right? What Jesus was getting at is this. Do not try to intentionally deceive people in the way you communicate with them. In other words, if you say something, mean it. And if you mean something, say it plainly and say it clearly. Don't go back on your word. Don't change your word. Don't lie. Don't make excuses. You know, there's been some strange ideas people have taken out of this teaching of Jesus. Some people have said, well, if, if i got to take Jesus at his word, that means if I ever get called into a, a court of law, I can never take an oath and swear in on a Bible. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was not opposed to telling the truth in the court of law. Rather, he was very serious about not lying in the open square or the daily marketplace. You know, I think it's probably safe to say with these Jews that they had adopted this philosophy. Honesty is the best policy. Yet they were some of the most dishonest, hypocritical people ever to speak. Their lips gave praise to God, but yet their hearts were very far from Him. Jesus said simply this. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. Verse 37, Jesus said very plainly, let your statement be yes Yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. 
The reason Jesus used the words twice is to demonstrate integrity. If you say yes with your lips, then show yes in the way that you live it out. If you say no with your lips, then show that you mean no in the way that you live it out. In fact, this wasn't the only time that Jesus would have to teach about honesty and integrity and telling the truth. Over in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, he explains the problem these Pharisees had. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important? The gold or the temple that has sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important? The offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You see the problem Jesus had presented them with? Weren't telling the truth. And they were figuring out creative ways in which they didn't have to hold themselves accountable for not telling the truth. You know, we kind of graduate um, in life. We get a little bit older. We get a little bit wiser. Sometimes we get a little more sneaky, a little bit more crafty. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't made a pinky promise with my friend Derek Bramlett over there, you know. We, just, we hadn't done that. And uh, I, I haven't told Stephanie, you know, I, I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, and make a promise to her that way. But rather, we'll, we'll do things like, like this. We'll intentionally avoid using words that would fully communicate the truth. You guys familiar with this? It's election year, you're going to get used to it, right? You, you'll say things... And you'll twist and manipulate your words to make them mean what you want them to mean while the person that you're saying it to thinks it means something else. In other words, it pacifies them to give them what they want to hear, but you're actually not telling them the truth that they so desperately need to hear. And by the time it's all over with, you've hurt them and your relationship is in shambles. And you've hurt yourself, and your integrity is of zero value. This is the problem with lying. This is the problem with making false vows or swearing false oaths. It does nothing but destroy trust. Nothing but destroy trust. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we'd all admit that this is who we are and that this is what we've done. There was a little boy in Sunday school one time when the, the teacher asked, how many of you have ever told a lie? And he raised his hand and said, I've never told a lie. And his friend looked at him and said, hey, did you say this about so-and-so last night when you spent the night at my house? And, and the little boy looked back up and said, no. And he said, teacher, 
my friend just told a lie. He can raise his hand now too. The truth is this. We've all not kept our word at one point or another at least. Jesus wasn't just talking about when to swear in and tell the truth in the courtroom. He was talking about being a person of integrity always, at all times, wherever you find yourself. John MacArthur summarized this passage this way. Jesus supported that all of our speech should be as if we were an, under an oath by God to tell the truth. Because reality is this. Every word that is spoken will be brought to light. In fact, Jesus himself taught over in Luke chapter 12 that every word that's spoken would be brought to life. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that cannot be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. This kind of pierces at the heart of everybody here. I'm sure this pierced the heart of everybody listening to Jesus preach that day as they were on the mountainside. And they all thought, well, Jesus, what are we going to do? If we've all taken a vow, but every one of us has broken that vow at some point, and that just kind of puts us in a predicament, rightly so. In fact, later on in the New Testament, a man named James would teach that if a person could bridle his tongue, could control his tongue, that he was perfect in everything that he did and everything that he said. But James knew that no person can control the tongue completely and fully. We've all said things that we don't mean. We've all meant things that we didn't say. We've lied. We've shaded the truth with a color other than the truth. And it creates this burden of sin upon us. But here's what I want to leave you with this morning. When Jesus pointed out to these people their sin throughout his preaching, he wanted them to know that they were all guilty, every single one of them. But he didn't want them to stay guilty. In fact, the truth is a lie breaks a relationship. And it didn't just break the relationship between the, the people that uh, had been lied to and the one who had lied, but it breaks people's relationship with God in heaven. He's the one who hears everything. He's the one who knows the promises we make and the times that we've broken them. But yet God himself chose to come down to this earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when God came to this earth, he did so knowing that people had sinned against him, knowing that there were liars and cheats in the world all around. Yet Jesus came and he spoke the truth and he taught the truth at all times. He never sinned, not once. It means he didn't make a false vow. He didn't make a pretend oath. He didn't go back on his word. He didn't trick people. He didn't deceive people. He told them the truth. He taught them the truth. And the fact of the matter is this. If we want to live according to the truth, and if we want to follow Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we have to come to the point where we hear those words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And we say, Jesus, you're right. In fact, Jesus, 
I'm going to be real honest with you right now. You told me that I'm a liar. That's truth. God, you know what I've lied about. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to reason my way out of why I said this, why I didn't say this, what I actually meant, what I didn't mean. Jesus, you know my heart. Jesus, you know I've lied. It's at that point, at that point, when it's not that honesty becomes the best policy, but when God's holiness becomes the desire of our heart. You see, here's the thing about God's grace and forgiveness. He's willing to give it to anybody and everybody. But only those who are willing to admit it are the ones who receive it. Over in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle taught this. If, if we say we have not sinned, we, we make him a liar. His truth's not in us. If we say we have no, de- no sin, we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1.9 teaches this, but if we confess our sin, then God is faithful, means he will, and he is just. That means he can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder if you haven't been honest with some people in your life. Maybe you've lied to a few folks. You haven't told the truth. Say, Jake, I I hadn't done that. Well, you don't have to keep listening. Jesus can't forgive you anyways if you're not going to tell him that you've done something wrong. But I can tell you this, he wants to forgive you. He wants you to tell him that you've deceived somebody intentionally. He wants you to seek forgiveness from him. He wants you to say, I am wrong. I have lied. I haven't spoken the truth. Would you... Forgive me. If you'll confess that sin to him, he'll forgive you every time. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he always spoke the truth. He never lied, not once. And you know what 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 is? It's a promise from God. It's a promise in his word. If we confess our sins, then what? He forgives us and he cleanses us, right? This is not a promise that Jesus will break. Jesus doesn't break his promises. In fact, Jesus guarantees his promises. The reason he's able and willing to forgive is because he died on the cross for our sins. For all the lies that you've ever told. For all of the half-baked truths you've ever pulled out of the oven and tried to feed to other people, Jesus died for all of those. And if you'll simply confess your sins to him, he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus came to restore our broken relationship with God. He came to restore broken relationships between other people, family members, friends who are now enemies. He came to bring reconciliation to mankind. Let me ask you this question again. Is it well with your soul? And look, I don't want the 
First Baptist Church answer on Sunday mornings when you're singing the hymn. I want the truth. Is there anybody that's willing to just say, Jake, look, it's not well with my soul. I mean, look, there's, there's some sin in my heart and my life. Jake, I, I've lied to somebody. Somebody's lied to me. Jake, I'm hurt. Would you just be willing to confess the true state of your life in God's eyes? Maybe it's not sin that's in the way between you and God at this point. Personal sin that you've committed. Maybe you just haven't taken the time to remember that he's a good God, even if what you're going through in your life right now isn't good. Would you take time to remember that Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to forgive you. And the only way he can is if you admit that you haven't been honest. Is if you admit that you are indeed a sinner and that you need his grace and his forgiveness in your life. just a moment our musicians are going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation and while they're coming I want to ask you to pull out your church bulletin now if you if you received a copy on the way in I trust that God spoke into your heart this morning as we've listened to his word maybe you're here this morning and man if if you're honest you'll say Jake I'm not a Christian I don't follow Jesus. In fact, that sin that you talked about with lying and not telling the truth, I'm guilty 100%. But Jake, I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to become a Christian today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again. And I want to give my life to him as Lord. And I want him to take control of my life to help me live and walk in the truth every day. Would you just take time now to ask the Lord Jesus to save you from your sins? Would you confess your sins to him? Would you trust that he died for your sins on the cross and that he rose again and he's able to forgive you of the wrong that you've done? Maybe you're here this morning, God's been speaking to your heart in some other way. Perhaps he's, you've been a Christian for a while, but you need to be baptized or maybe he wants you to become a member of First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge so that you can come alongside these other family members in the faith and help us share the truth of Christ with others in our community. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord is doing something special and unique in your heart. He calls every Christian to follow him and to serve him. But he's calling you to serve him as a pastor, as a missionary. And you just need to surrender your life to the call that he's placed on your life. Would you check one of those boxes as God's speaking to your heart this morning? Would you write your name there in the offering plate? And when the offering plate comes by, would you just put that card in the offering plate? Really as an act of saying, God, I, this, is, this is what I want to do. This is what you're asking me to do, and this is how I'm going to respond. As this song is played, if you need to come and speak with me or pray with me, I'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody there next to you in the pew about how God's been working in your heart this morning. As God calls you, will you respond?